So here we have some lepers. And lepers were not allowed beyond the city gates into the main part of the city. They had to live just outside of the gates at the entrance to the city. And they relied on charity. They relied on people bringing water and food out to them. They were considered physically and spiritually unclean. They were the outcasts. They were the marginalized. They were the ones that people had to put up with. And when things are tight, they're the ones that are going to be left and abandoned, unfed and unwatered. So you can see the plight that they're in. And if you think about people in that situation, don't we still have them around in our world today? In many guises, there are those who are marginalised, they are abandoned, they are not allowed into main society. <coughs> I never ever thought this as something modern. I don't know why, for years, just used to know that in the Bible you read about these people called lepers, as that was something way back in time, some kind of skin disease. And it wasn't until I went to work in Nepal for a while with BMS that I came across the clinics that some of the BMS uh, nursing people were working in with lepers. There's a lot can be done these days. Treatment is good. But they, people have to be taken to the clinics early on to, to minimise the problems that they can get. Um, and that's like an education process, because certainly in like Nepal, over many, many uh, years, if you had someone in your family who became lepers, you hid them away, and uh, you let no one see them. And so they never got near any treatment. Well, it cost money anyway, and they didn't have the money. So it's now convincing families to bring people to the clinics early on, and so they can be treated. Uh, I saw some who hadn't. Uh, it's horrendous. Um, a woman who couldn't close her eyelids. Imagine, never be able to close your eyelids. Uh, many with you know, really disfigured hands and feet. And you're just thankful that there is treatment now and that these people, in such a bad way, are, are being cared for. They still had to rely on friends or relatives to bring food to them. The clinics, the hospitals, do not feed any patients. relies on people bringing food for their use. So, and you can see that they got together, these four men, and they're thinking, we're going to die here, so why risk it? We'll go to the camp. Uh, well, you know, if they look after us, brilliant. If not, we're no worse off. The God is ahead of them. And this you read. And I'm a person who's got the faith that says, I believe this. I don't think this is some made up story. I have to believe that if God called chaos for the right reasons, God caused chaos. Get there, there's no one there. Seems 
that they, and we're told it's because the God stepped in and caused great things to be around them. And of course, God makes the noise in that situation in terms of want to. You can imagine lots of noise, you know, and what kind of things could you think of? Like at night time, great claps of thunder there in bed. What does your mind suddenly start to in thinking? Oh, thunder, or is falling down, or is there a quake or a tremor? You can the times to all sounds of thinking what might be going on. Hear a lot of noise to them. They're being attacked. There's obviously great panic. They didn't think we've got time to get together the horses, the and go. We've got to go now. So they leave behind. They arrive. Can you imagine? You think and looking at not other sort of sort of shelter. Um, there's food, there's clothing left, and there's gold and silver. Come on. Great. So you imagine that situation. They can't believe it, can they? You know, not only you know is the sort of food which they're starving, and they found uh, wine, they put water, all sorts of things, but then all the extras as well. So it's not just they found provision to physically keep them alive. They found an abundance of other things that they can use. And it's, I just think, that's, isn't that typical when God acts? That often it's not just the basics that we, that we need, but it's things, not so much luxuries, or things that we don't need, but things that we would need beyond just existing. And this is the God who does provide in all fullness. I don't believe in this prosperity thing where God gives you, you know, the best car and the biggest house and everything else. But God does provide. We've, over the years, experienced God's provision in our lives. When we were, um, we saying when I packed up my job and went off to, to Bible college and Catherine was teaching part-time to, to, to keep us going, we were amazed how often uh, anonymous gifts just appeared through the letterbox. And uh, um, it's quite humbling to receive. I mean, for years, maybe you've given and supported others. It's not always easy to receive. I find that strange to believe. But to receive is incredible. And it was something we had to kind of get, almost get over. But what was wonderful, I can so remember it now. One evening came out from college and a, a little envelope came through the letterbox. This is going back a long time. There was £111 in envelope in £1 notes. That's how old the story is. Okay. And uh, interesting amount. And we sat down. We thought, isn't that wonderful? We couldn't think of any particular reason. Uh, apart from existing, but we couldn't think of any particular reason why 111 pounds. So we sat there and we thought, wow, you know, we, we could do this, we could do that, or we could have that, which we had done for a while. And Next morning, when the post arrived, a 
car insurance bill came, and I'd forgotten all about it. And the car insurance was for £100. So we had a pound bonus to spend. Because that paid for the car insurance. That was repeated over the time being at college. It was just incredible that God just brought something for the appropriate time that met our need. And it was quite an amazing experience. What's interesting when you read this, there they are, they're eating, they're drinking, and there it says, silver, gold, clothing, and hiding it. Hiding it. Why? Why do you think they were hiding it? We have some interaction. Any ideas? Come on, now's your chance to share in the sermon. Do you want anybody else to have it? Yep. Greed. Two. For the future. I've got one more in my mind. Fear. Okay, that's good. Fear. Fear plays a lot in our lives, doesn't it? I, I also thought... They didn't look after us that well back in the city. Why should we bother about them? That's sometimes a human weakness, isn't it? Why should I bother with them? They never bothered about me. When you think about society and events, and I'm reading something here from a long time ago, Not a lot changes sometimes, does it? How we treat one another, fear, revenge, which is terrible. Causes innocent deaths, revenge. But something happens. Because it says, finally, finally, at last, they look at each other and they say, this is not right. I wonder what made them get to that point. It might have been the fear, the anxiety and everything else again about what happens if we get found out. Or was it a sudden realisation that they had been provided for and what they were then going to do was not honourable to God or themselves? We don't know, it doesn't tell us. But they say this is not right. This is wonderful news and we're not sharing it with anyone. Realizations, how much better to share and see the joy and the release of others and not just to keep it to ourselves. There's also another thought if we wait till morning, something terrible might happen upon us. It happened to the enemy. What happens if God decides we're not sharing it and therefore take it all away from us again? Who knows? Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace, which is what. They do. <clears throat> the interesting when they go back and they share the good news, the gatekeepers shout that the, the enemy have gone. And the king gets out of bed, it says, verse 12. It's the middle of the night. And he's still not trusting what's going on. He could say he's been a wise king. He says the Aramaeans know we are starving, so they've left their camp and have hidden in the fields. Possibility. 
They expect us to leave the city, and then when we do, they'll capture us. So one of his officers says, well, we better send out scouts. Let's check out this is, this is okay. And isn't that like us as groups of Christians? There'll be some who say, yes, I've heard God speak. We should go and do and be. And, and there's a lot more of us going, well, I think we should pray about this. Can have a church meeting as well. Then we'll have another prayer meeting. And then we still think God's saying this. We'll go. And no wrong with that. I don't think wrong with that whatsoever. However, it does question about balance between trust and being good stewards. And it is a balance. So I don't think we should wildly go off. It's good to consider what's going on. And anyway, any, any, even prophecy has to be tested. Prophecy is only prophecy if it comes true. So it's good to hear, and it's good to pray about it. But you need to consider how long do we go on praying and considering something? How long have we had a plan for our fellowship? And we had it five years ago, and we're still waiting to actually do it. Challenge. Anyway, the king does that, sends out scouts, and they come back and they say it's true. They're gone. There's no one there. And then in verse 17, we read this. The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate. But he was knocked down. And he trampled to death as the people rushed out. The king's officer said, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man of God had said, you will see it happen but you won't be able to eat any of it. And so it was. For the people trampled him to death at the gate. Now don't panic, please. This is not a word from from the Lord saying, "If if you don't trust, you'll be trampled to death. I think what it's saying is, there are always consequences to the choices we make. We know that. That is life. But it's also in the Christian life that there are choices. God's given us that ability to make choices. We hear God's word and we make the choice of understanding how it applies to us. And there'll be times when we hold back and therefore we don't receive any blessing that might have come out of that event. Although we might still. Who knows? But it is considering at what point do we start to deny God and the power of God, and the greatness of God, and the wisdom of God, and the mercy of God. He is a great God, and we need to know that, and to hold on to that truth by faith in these times, I believe. Jesus will come again in glory. I believe that. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to be aware of what the Spirit is doing, because what we do is what the Spirit is already doing. When, when, when you go out to, to, to other lands, like Kath and I have been out a few times now, different places, 
and um, what you always know, I mean, I think we found this particularly when we went out to Paraguay, very poor country, but incredible Christians working out in the poverty of that place and the crime of that place. Absolutely fascinating. What you realize when you go out there, and you go out there by invitation, perhaps because they've asked you to teach on some things or to share some things, and what you realize is you learn so much more going out there than you do what you take with you. And that's how it should be, surely, isn't it? We take and we share, but we also receive at the same time. And there were some incredible people out there working uh, in the power of God. And some great things happening, especially with young people, the young drug addicts. Wonderful work amongst them. And you see the power of God in dire circumstances. Because there is belief. There is trust. And there is people willing to put themselves on the front line, out of their comfort zones. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to step out of our comfort zones to know the power of God.